What is design thinking? More importantly, how does it fit into compliance? Join two fans of design thinking for the compliance profession, Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist, and Karsten Tams, ethical business architect and founder of Emigence LLC, as they explore how the compliance profession can use design thinking to more fully operationalize a compliance program. In this episode, Karsten Tams and myself take up the topic of tailoring a design thinking project that fits for your organization. What are some of the basic questions to ask? How do you get started? And what's holding you back? All on this episode of Design Thinking in Compliance. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Carson Tams for another episode in our podcast series, Design Thinking in Compliance. Carson, first of all, welcome back. Hi, Tom. I'm delighted to be back with you. Carson, in our last episode, we looked at running a design sprint, and I was wondering if today we could uh, uh, maybe explore to tailoring a design thinking project that fits not simply your organization, but uh, the specific project. Uh, once again, we draw from Karsten's LinkedIn articles on design thinking, and he has written a specific post on this topic, which, of course, we'll link to in the show notes. But, Carson, what, are, or what do you see as the three critical benefits of design thinking? Yeah, so um, uh, design thinking has, has, has numerous benefits, but as, as far as uh, application to um, um, ethics and compliance has, uh, I think uh, it, can, um, it can generate three very important benefits for us. Number one is speed. Uh, so when we, when we have to tackle a challenge, a design project could be, you know, develop a new code of conduct, a training program, or whatever it may be. Maybe it's a comprehensive program overhaul. Design thinking provides us a well-structured process template that we can use to make progress in in a timely in a timely manner and really push towards milestones. And that is that that can, that can be critical. Let's let's assume, for instance, you're under a monitorship. Um, you know, you really want to push ahead your program in a timely fashion and, and design thinking gives us the structure and the methods to do so. Um, second, the second benefit is innovation. Um, you know, design thinking has this unique principles of human-centered design, really putting the needs of the users, in our case, typically the employees, at the center of our, of our um, design work and this co-creative um, aspect um, and these two lenses really help to generate novel, innovative, fresh ideas for making programs uh, more engaging, more effective. And then thirdly, I would stress um, that by applying design thinking to our ethics and compliance uh, uh, work, we uh, generate buy-in. Um, so we all have critical stakeholders, people who act as sponsors for our programs, uh, you know, our bosses or other other departments uh, but of course most most importantly again employees and how do we get them to uh, to buy into it and the, the participatory co-creative nature of design thinking makes a huge contribution towards that third goal as well so I would summarize speed innovation and buy-in those are three critical benefits uh, every compliance practitioner needs to use each one of those words I think as a byproduct or, or actually a, a buzzword for compliance as well. 
Uh, but let me ask you, what are some of the basic applications of design thinking you have either seen, used, or thought about within the context of a best practices compliance program? Sure. So I think there are uh, a variety of ways in which we can plug design thinking into our work as ENC practitioners. And uh, one we have um, mentioned in our previous series, uh, which is, uh, you know, a new, new chief ethics and compliance officer coming, joining a company and, you know, being uh, being uh, uh, ma- not mandated, but, you know, being being tasked to evaluate, do comprehensive program evaluation and to make sure the, 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 the program is, is up to par. Um, so this is, this is an ideal scenario for, um, uh, you know, that a chief compliance officer can use to say, uh, you know, I'm going to use design thinking to assess how well the program is, is go, going and it is a great opportunity to also um, invite and include critical stakeholders into this program. If you're new in an organization, you know, design thinking really gives you um, methods, structures to quickly build relationships and and also to assume a posture, a listening posture, right? Um, So, you know, participants will come to see you as somebody who works collaboratively, who listens to input. Uh, I think all of these things will benefit new new. Kecko. Um, second, um, second application: targeted redesign of a program element you know, over the course of a program, maybe due to new regulation, or maybe due to the demand of a major client. You might have to update an element of your program. Maybe it is a code of conduct or training. So, design thinking, of course, can be used to, to specifically redesign um, an, a, 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 a well-defined element of your program. Third one. Comprehensive program overhaul. For instance, during a monitorship, you know, maybe uh, you realize, wow, our uh, program really needs to be, um, uh, you know, rebuilt or not rebuilt, but but um, revamped from 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 top to bottom. Um, Here, you can use design thinking to devise um, a comprehensive. process involving many stakeholders, potentially thousands, you know, you can open up using certain tools such as open innovation platforms or ideas management platforms. You can use these to um, invite input into the process from virtually all your employees, potentially even uh, from external stakeholders. Um, and uh, Or you can use employee surveys for this, this purpose. And you can have multiple work streams looking at risk assessment, the code, the training, and what have you. Um, and all of that, you know, in a fairly, uh, in, a, in a well-structured manner where you can come up with a, with a comprehensive plan for your entire program within six months or, or whatever your time frame may be. Um, another great opportunity for compliance uh, practitioners, I think, is the so-called, you know, Ethics and Compliance Ambassador Conference. Many companies... Have a have a big network of, of ambassadors or liaison program liaisons they are also sometimes called, and they bring them together on a regular intervals, maybe annually or biannually, um, to you know first provide networking opportunities and also of course to relay critical information from the corporate department to those ambassadors. But these conferences are really also unique opportunities to listen and to learn from ambassadors and to find ways to better tailor a compliance program to the needs of business units. 
Um, so you can infuse design thinking exercises, ideation exercises, you know. Uh, you can ask people to uh, ambassadors to help you identify, for example, you know what the specific uh, ethics risks in their businesses are, and that might help you then to um, to think about okay, what could a training library look like that really suits the the needs of our businesses, and you could do that co-creatively together with the ambassadors, you know, I, and and this would improve um, not not only the quality of your program, but ambassadors, of course, would would feel very positively about feeling they had a say, they had an impact on the design of the program. Again, next I would stress um, ethics and compliance strategy retreats. So some chief compliance officers that take their teams on an off-site, or today maybe that's done virtually. Um, and you can use design thinking also to, to develop, you know, or revisit annually your, your ethics and compliance strategy. Um, and lastly... Um, or I, would, I should say there are two examples, team meetings. It doesn't always have to be a full-fledged design pro thinking project. So it can, you can also simply use Monday mornings a team meeting and say, you know what, I'm currently looking at this problem. I try to understand it better. I would like to get your input and your perspectives on this issue. Um, so you do a little design thinking um, method uh, exercise that will help you look at a certain problem from different angles, from different perspectives. And lastly, um, design thinking, what I call design thinking as a way of work and life. Um, so design thinking is also in a way, you can think of it as a, as a leadership uh, uh, tech, uh, technique, uh, where leadership is, is, is understood as someone's capability to... Um, to tap into the latently available insights, knowledge, um, skills that, that are present in, in any given group. Um, so here, it means you go into your conversations, into the actions with others, not just with an intent to influence and to convey and to, to shape other people, you know, shape, shape outcomes, but uh, you, you go in with a set of, of questions that help you to understand, you know, what are the needs of the other party? Um, what are their potential ideas for solutions? Um, and, uh, and you really embrace this idea that uh, good ideas are really the result of di diverse perspectives uh, and an inclusive approach to problem solving. So I'll stop here. I could, as you know me, Tom, I could meander on forever. But um, as, as I, what I hope I, you, I can show is here is that design thinking can be applied in a great variety of ways to, uh, to ethics and compliance practitioners' work. Carson, I was going to ask you about uh, just getting started. Um, but now I think I want to maybe ask you in a little bit different way. And this is something that I think many compliance professionals, CECOs, and even business executives, and probably you and I in our personal life have, have really faced uh, when trying something new, and that is what's holding you back. Um, because that that's a, you know, in the corporate world, we tend to be a little conservative. Certainly in my professional background as a lawyer, we're very conservative. What worked before would work again uh, in the face of all evidence. Um, and really convincing people to change and try something new um, for people of my generation, that was sometimes a tough sell. But how do you address, uh, if you're 
consulted, you're asked uh, by a, a CECO to come in and talk to senior management and not really explain um, design thinking in detail, but the broader question of, of what's holding you back, how do you, you suggest we address that? And, and what guidance could you give, or maybe even Olivia might give to other compliance professionals since she's gone through the exercise? Mm-hmm. Ah, that's, a, that's a good question. And I, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's um, I think the biggest thing holding us back is, the, is kind of the fear of the unknown. Um, you know, it, uh, it's like, oh, are we going to, uh, is this going to be an, a success? How will other people think about it? Will they judge me? Will, will it all work out, etc.? Um, the nice thing about design thinking, that, so that's, that's just something that, that we need to overcome, and I think we can overcome it by um, first understanding that uh, design thinking is not rocket science. It's, um, it's quite simple. It's quite intuitive. Um, if you keep a few basic things in mind, you keep uh, two basic principles in mind, prim- primarily the, the idea of co-creation, building solutions together with users, and also the human-centered design, meaning always keeping a laser-sharp focus on, on will this work for your intended user. Um, if you keep those principles in mind, and then if you, if you apply that, that really, relatively simple structure uh, that we've talked about of uh, discovery of, of problems, um, ideas, and solutions, and then you just use you use you know the the methods um, that uh, design thing that you can easily find and look up in a, on on websites or in, in books. Um, then you're on your way, uh, and um, if you have a little time to invest, you can do that on your own. Uh, again, it doesn't you know you don't have to have any special degree to do design thinking. Anybody can really do it. Um, if you have money and not so much time, then maybe, maybe you bring in a consultant, a facilitator who helps you accelerate that process for you. Um, and then I would recommend, you know, start small, start in your inner circle, experiment with it a little bit within your team, make it part of your interactions. When you go meet, uh, uh, you know, maybe somebody over in the next department, uh, the head of audit or legal, you know, come in with a with a useful set of questions based on design thinking principles, uh, you know, trying to understand where the other people stands and what their needs are and um, and inviting their input for solutions and what have you. So, um, so, so, so I think these things can alleviate some of the, uh, of the, of the fear of the unknown. Number one, realize it's not uh, brain, brain surgery. And number two, um, it, um, um, the second part, uh, uh, now I'm blanking on that, sorry, but uh, another third, I can think of a third one, which is, you'll be surprised, people are really kind of, uh, they hunger, I think a lot of people hunger for opportunities to, 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 for new ways of doing things and, and to participate in solutions. Um, so in my experience, people respond very, very, very positively when you give them opportunities to um, to be involved, to be part of the solution. I hope that helps. So Carson, that, yeah, you've answered the why question. Now we might move back to the how question. How do you get started? Yeah, so um, when you have a, when you, when you know a design problem, when you think, okay, now, now might be the time uh, to, um, to start with the design problem, I think it, it can help really to, 
to think about a few questions, and I detail uh, those in, in that LinkedIn article. So, you know, if any listener is listening to me and say, oh, this is, this is uh, confusing, um, you can go to that article and then find it there. But uh, so here are a few very good, helpful, practical questions. First one is a challenge, you know. Um, is it, are you trying to solve something quite discreet, well-defined, or are you um, planning to do, let's say, a comprehensive, complex program overhaul, okay? So answering that question is, is very important in how you will set up and des design your design thinking uh, process or project. Second, who are the stakeholders um, that should be involved? Who are the people who, who, who you need to involve in, in the design thinking process? Um, you know, who is, uh, who who will be using the, the solution, who might be affected by the solution, who are important sponsors of the solution, whose buy-in do you, do you need. So this is important to clarify in setting up your project. Also, group size, how many people will be participating, you know, that will determine if it's a small group, you know, you can, uh, you, all you need is a conference room uh, um, or, or, you know, a relatively simple virtual online setup. If it's a, if it's a big, uh, if you really want to do something uh, inviting all your employees throughout the world to participate, well, then you may want to think about inno open innovation platforms or, or the use of uh, online surveys. Another point is time. How much time can you allocate? Um, design thinking projects can range anywhere from a 20-minute uh, exercise, as I described earlier, as part of Monday morning's uh, team meeting, or it can be, uh, let's say, a part of the first 100 days of a newly appointed uh, chief and ethics compliance officer. Um, um, and uh, next, do you want to do something in person or virtual? Um, both, both have their benefits and drawbacks. Uh, they can also be applied together in a hybrid um, uh, project design, combining virtual and, 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 and brick and mortar. Um, and, but costs will be will very greatly when you bring in great number of people in one place, often costs tend to go up quickly. So virtual um, options can help manage costs, for instance. And that brings us to the question of budget. Do you have a shoestring budget or do you have a little money to spend? Um, uh, so these are some of the key considerations. If you have some preliminary answer on these, it is relatively easy to move from there to, a, to, designing, to designing a nice design project for you. So, Karsten, uh, we have introduced the character of Olivia in a prior podcast, and I was wondering if Olivia was at yet another compliance conference, how do you think uh, she would uh, suggest to the audience uh, her experience around tailoring a design program that fits her other words about what she has gone through um, as we have gone through in this uh, five-part podcast series? <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe she would say, um, you know, after I did my first design sprint, um, I, I really saw, I really came to appreciate much, much more the value of this approach. And uh, I think once you've 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 had that that really positive first experience, I think you'll be very tempted to um, to uh, infuse design thinking into you know across the various possibilities for applying design thinking, you know, along the lines of the things I, uh, we have discussed earlier, you know, 
when you confront a problem, uh, be it a specific design problem, maybe the redesign of your code, you'll say, of course you'll you'll apply design thinking uh, principles to it. When you, uh, you know, next time you have an event such as ambassadors conference, of course you will. When thinking about the agenda and how to structure the two-day event, you'll say, okay, let's make sure, uh, you know, we we. Um, Create opportunities to listen and learn from from the ambassadors about their insights, their their local knowledge about ethics risks and and the solutions that they need. Um, uh, so so I think um, that that's maybe something that she would say is uh, design thinking can really uh, have so many applications, so many benefits in in, in practically every aspect of ethics and compliance um, departments. Well, Karsten, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode when we wrap up uh, the first uh, part of our series on design thinking and uh, really give our thoughts on why we both agree this is such a powerful tool. I look forward to continuing that conversation, Karsten. Me too, Tom. This is Tom Fox. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Design Thinking and Compliance. Carson and I have put together a package of resources for you if you'd like additional information on design thinking. They're all listed in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions, please contact Carson or myself directly. Once again, our contact information is in the show notes. If you like something a little bit different, check out Effing Argentina, where with my co-host Greg Greenberg, we take up 11 tales of exasperation in modern American life. It's a little bit different, but it's a whole lot of fun. Also on the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to visiting with you again.